0: In our recent and current preaching series called Unbreakable, we have feasted on some very valuable concepts, some very valuable principles found in Scripture and in other academic disciplines about how groups are made strong, resilient, even unbreakable because of following sound principles. We've learned about the power of commitment. And the necessity of good and frequent communication to be able to have bonds in a family life or in a group life or even a church life. This teaching has also included showing appreciation for those in our circle. And, and last week we heard very, very movingly about the power and necessity of, of time spent together, quality time spent together. Without that, without that time spent together, groups will never be as strong as they could be. They'll never be as resilient as they could be. This morning, we continue this series by proclaiming the one thing most necessary for a resilient faith, a resilient life, and resilient relationships— And that's time spent in the presence of God and the presence of God's people in worship, just like we're doing today. And perhaps especially on those times when we share in the Lord's Supper and we're reminded of the intimate relationship between God and his people. Today we join with a whole global Christian family, this wonderful community of God's people all around the earth many of whom, as Dan alluded to at the very beginning of this service, many of whom celebrate the Lord's Supper this very day in circumstances far different than we will. We will celebrate this day in a peaceful place, surrounded by a zone of safety and a beautiful location. We'll be here this day celebrating the Lord's Supper that way, while many sisters and brothers around the world will be celebrating quite literally in fear of their lives, quite quite literally wondering what their future holds. But the same faith that keeps them going, that makes them resilient, is the faith that sustains us as well. The same faith that sustains those people in the darkest days sustains us and makes us stronger in the days in which we live. I'd like to look again at the meaning of the word resilience. One somewhat obscure dictionary definition puts it this way. Resilience is the capability of a strained body to recover its size and shape after deformation caused especially by comprehensive stress, compressive stress. Wow. That sounds like Dan Meyer after completing the Chicago Marathon next week. Or just me after a very large meal. (laughs) Whatever it is that resilience is, that's what we want. That's what we want. We want the capacity to have God's strength to face the hard issues of life as well as the joyful times. And one of the realities that we celebrate this morning is the power of worship that makes us resilient, gives us strength. And gives us the power to live as God would have us to live. Hear what the psalmist had to say about the worship of Almighty God. One thing I ask of the Lord, that's what I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. To seek Him in His temple. For in the day of trouble... He will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face, your face, Lord. Will I seek? Obviously, when we use human language to describe seeking the face of God, we are not saying that this morning we will see God's face. What the psalmist is reminding us of is that we will not see his face per se, but we will be in his presence. We will be close to him. We can be drawn into his very presence. We can gaze on the beauty of his holiness. He is the one. Whom we seek this morning. We can experience his presence today. We experience his presence in a lot of ways. We'll experience it differently. There was once a little boy who wanted to meet God. He knew it was a long trip to where God lives. So he packed his suitcase with Twinkies and a six pack of root beer. There's a healthy meal. And he started his journey When he had gone about three blocks, he met an elderly woman. She was sitting in the park just staring at some pigeons. The boy sat down next to her and opened his suitcase. He was about to take a drink from his root beer when he noticed the older woman looked hungry. So he offered her a Twinkie. She gratefully accepted it and smiled at him. Her smile was so pretty. But the boy wanted to see it again, so he offered her some root beer. Once again, she smiled at him. The boy was delighted and sat there all afternoon eating and smiling, but they never said a word together. As it grew dark, the boy realized how tired he was, and he got up to leave. But before he'd gone more than a few steps, he turned around, ran back to the woman, and gave her a hug. She gave him the biggest smile ever. When the boy opened his door to the house a short time later, his mother was surprised by the look of joy on his face, and she asked him, What did you do today that made you so happy? He replied, I had lunch with God. But before his mother could respond, he added, You know what? She's got the most beautiful smile I've ever seen. Meanwhile, the woman, also radiant with joy, returned to her home, Her son was stunned by the look of peace on her face, and he asked, Mother, what did you do today that made you so happy? She replied, Ate Twinkies in the park with God. But before her son responded, she added, You know, he's much younger than I thought. (laughs) Maybe God has some surprises in mind for us this morning. As we meet him, as we gaze upon his presence, as we discover more of who he is. In Revelation 3.20, a verse we often hear in several different contexts, but usually it's about the beginning point of a relationship with Christ. It is that, but it's also more. Hear the words from Revelation 3.20 in a slightly new way. Listen, I stand at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door... I will come to you, and I will eat with you, and you with me. That's what we do this morning together. Rowan Williams, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, says it simply and well in his book, Being Christian. Jesus, he reminds us, wants our company and all of us are welcome guests at his table. He further reminds us that Jesus loved to have a meal with friends and strangers. He relished that. He lived with indiscriminate generosity. He seemed to especially relish being with people who thought they had no place at the table, even as he brought them together in joyful celebration. In Luke's gospel, from Luke chapter 19, the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus, what we see is Jesus coming alongside this despised tax collector. And what did he say to him? Zacchaeus, I want to spend my day at your house. Let's eat together. Let's share life together. I want to be in your place. Those are the people he welcomes at the table. And in Luke's sequel, in Acts, We read from Acts chapter 10, verse 41, that the first followers of Jesus in the days of the early church frequently referred to the reality of the risen Christ as they identified themselves as the witnesses who ate and drank with him as he rose after he rose from the dead. That was their identity, it's what they remembered. The eating and the drinking and the being together with Jesus as he could only and only he could welcome them. In chapter 24 of his gospel, Luke tells us that after the resurrection of Jesus, his followers found an empty tomb. We know what happened. The women went, and they were the first witnesses of the resurrection. A group of the women, three prominent ones, and likely some others too, went to the tomb. Jesus wasn't there. They were bewildered, hurt, surprised, shocked. And in their surprise and in their bewilderment, they of course wondered what happened when two angels came and spoke to them and reminded them that not only is he not here and the stone has been rolled away and there is no body here, but he told you this would happen. This was a part of the plan All along, don't you remember the times he told you this? Well, encouraged, but still somewhat bewildered, they ran back to the other disciples. And they told the disciples what had happened. And the disciples, except for Peter, who was sort of coming along and understanding, they too were utterly bewildered and did not believe the testimony of the women. As Luke 24 goes on, and rather than read it, I'm just going to tell you what the experience was. Two of Jesus' followers on that Sunday, that afternoon likely, were walking along to a village called Emmaus, about a seven-mile journey from Jerusalem. One of their names was Cleopas. Cleopas and his friend were utterly bereft and confused. Like all of the followers of Jesus, They wondered what had happened and what was taking place. Jesus had been crucified and buried. And while they're walking along commiserating in their misery, another man comes up beside them. They don't know who it is. The story later reveals who that was. But the man comes up alongside of them. A man comes up alongside of them. It's Jesus, but they did not yet know that. And as the man comes up alongside of them, he says to them, Why the long faces? Why are you so sad? What's going on to make you so unhappy? The disciples, these followers of Jesus' response to him was very clear. They said, Don't you know? In exasperation, don't don't you know what has happened? In the last few days, you must be from somewhere else. You must be from out of town, because what happened is that Jesus was crucified. And didn't you know about Jesus? Didn't you know who he was? Didn't you, hadn't you heard about what he had done and said and all the things he had been? Surely you know this, and surely you understand it. I'm getting there. There we go. Surely you know and understand all the things that he did and said. And they've killed him. He's gone. He's lost to us. He was a great man, and we're so going to miss him. The stranger tried to correct their thinking. The stranger, of course, was Jesus, and he revealed the plan, and he now is about to reveal the person, because as they walked from his side, he began to move his own direction, and they said, won't you come and stay? And And dine with us? Won't you have a meal with us? Jesus stayed. And it was there in the breaking of the bread that their eyes were opened and they recognized it was Jesus. Our eyes can be similarly opened this morning. When we receive the bread and the cup together, we're part of an unbreakable human family of God. A family from which nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. When we share in the table of the Lord, know that you are welcome, not because all is well with you. You are welcome because you need strength for the journey, especially if it's not going all that well for you. One of the things Laurie and I have so enjoyed about Chicago... Are the few but, but joyful opportunities we have to go into the city to have a great meal? There are lots of great restaurants all over the area, but there's something about going to the city to have a great meal together in that wonderful atmosphere. The other night, we went with friends to a great restaurant in the city, or one at least great to us. We were the first ones to arrive. So I went up to the reception desk and I asked the receptionist who was really good at her work. I said who I was and then I said, do you have a reservation for us? And to my delight, she said, of course we do, Mr. Clark. We've been waiting for you. That began a great night in the company of friends. In a moment, Dan will offer the invitation to Holy Communion. There is a reservation here in your name. God has been waiting for you. Let's pray. God, for your goodness and grace, for the joy you bring to us, for the joyful invitation we will receive to dine at your table and to be your people, we give you thanks. In the name of the risen Christ, who makes all of this possible, we pray. Amen.